What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. My guest today is Taylor, who was a delight to talk to. I really appreciated their reminder throughout our conversation that each of us is on a faith journey with ups and downs, slow parts and sudden jolts, and that instead of viewing moments when God seems absent as crises, we can embrace those moments as part of our constant evolution into fuller, more faithful human beings. Let's get right into the conversation. My name's Taylor. I am originally from Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, since I left there for college, I have bounced around the United States a lot. Um, I've lived in about five states, and since I graduated college in 2014, I've moved about a dozen times. Um, so I've really just been bouncing around and trying to figure out where I'm going to call home for the next part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, so that's home is always very interesting. Um, I'm 28 years old, uh, but I always say I f like physically I'm a 65 year old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live with chronic pain. Um, so that is a big part of my life. I have a host of psychiatric diagnoses. So I do have a disability in that regard. Um, I'm a fat person and I identify with that in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. um, and I care a lot about sort of fat positivity as opposed to body positivity mm. and fat activism instead of like white cishet thin feminism. So mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm really sort of dedicated to that, cultivating that in my own life and also trying to educate other people as much as I can. But sometimes I think it gets a little uncomfortable for me to do that. So I'm not always the active bystander when it comes to size, um, because I'm still trying to figure out how to best represent myself in those moments. Yeah. Out of all of my identities, I feel like fatness is is most sentient because it's the first thing that people see. Mm -hmm. Um and it directly impacts how I'm treated. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I also, who else am I? I identify as queer, but I would say more, maybe more specifically, I'm about 87 to 92% asexual. So like I'm a solid B plus A minus on the scale of A's. <laughs> yeah, that. good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, and so I, I grew up, I'm a child of divorce. So that definitely really impacted my life a lot. And um, because of that divorce, I sort of grew up what I would call as mixed class. Mm. Um, I was with my mother a majority of the time and my mother did not have much money. We did have a lot of support from her parents, my grandparents. So that was really helpful, but I definitely experienced worrying about safety and money from a really young age. Um, but then with my father, when I would see my father, he owns his own real estate appraisal business. Um, and he is pretty well known for, for doing a really good job. So he built a really successful business and, um, he, so when we were with him, we had access to a lot more things that 
like upper middle class people would have. Yeah. Um, so it was a really interesting space for me to navigate growing up, especially because the money was something that was really used to sort of hurt my mother, but mm. also manipulate me and my sister. And it was a big source of I would what I would call maybe not abuse, but like manipulation and certainly like gaslighting. Um, mm. I'm actually estranged from my father at this point. But yeah, and spiritually, I would say I'm a Christian witch at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's There have definitely been what I call multiple faith evolutions mm-hmm. um, in, I would say, my trajectory. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church USA, um, and I've sort of been in and out and in again. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued by your use of the word evolution for your um, faith journey. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your faith evolution and how that's gone for you and why you choose that wording? Definitely. So, like I said, I I was born into and baptized into the Presbyterian Church USA. And my family, I would say, is like vv presbyterian um (laughs) we have two ministers in the family my uncle um on my mom's side is a presbyterian minister and then he married another presbyterian minister um and i definitely look up to my aunt a lot she has done so much um like i don't want to name drop (laughs) but she um like i definitely look at her as like a model for a path I would love to take because Mm -hmm. she, you know, she went all the way, like she was a parish minister. She also worked on like the local presbytery level and she was a Mm co-moderator. So I just really admire not just how she is in the day to day, but how she is in the big picture. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so we were just entrenched like as children and I grew up, two blocks away from my church. So we walked to and from church every Sunday. When I was, I would say it was seventh grade. I just really started, I think some of my mental illnesses sort of really manifested at that time. And Mm -hmm. it was sort of the onset. So I experienced like a lot of just very intense loneliness and sadness and I was like you know what God is not real mm-hmm. and I this is not what I want um so I started identifying as an atheist but during that time I actually got confirmed because I was sort of forced to at that yeah moment. yeah um the only reason I did it somewhat willingly was actually because of my confirmation sponsor, because she was the only person who told me I didn't have to. And I thought, well, I guess if I have permission to make actually make a choice, mm-hmm. maybe I'll just do it, even though it's not necessarily what I believe at that moment. And so I went I went pretty dark for um, like a whole year and things were really rough and I was really not into being alive at the moment. Um, but classic, God really just chased me down that summer after, Mm -hmm. um, seventh grade. And I, uh, was at my church camp, Camp Lackawanna, 
um, in Tunkana, Pennsylvania, shout out. Um, and I had been going to camp for years. I think I started in like third grade, but that year we did this really amazing, like two or three hour long sort of faith walk. And we walked through all these different exercises that were, I would say they were like physical in nature, not physical in terms of like exercise and exertion, but Mm -hmm. they were activities like with your hands and, and with movement, we walked a labyrinth. Oh, right. Yeah. So like embodied stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was, re- I love and it that was really stuff. beautiful. Me yeah. too. And it's so funny because flash forward, being a Christian witch now, mm-hmm. doing things with material things and with movement and with my hands is a really big part of my right. practice now. Yeah. So, and yeah. I'm just realizing this right now as we're talking like, <laughs> well, like this was set for me mm. when I was 13, like, mm-hmm. which is really cool to experience right now. Um, But yeah, like, we walked a labyrinth, we like picked up a stone before we entered the labyrinth and we're told to just, you know, squeeze all of our worry into that stone and drop it mm. in the center with God and then leave without it. We had to, we wrote down, you know, things that we were carrying, baggage that we had, and we threw it into a fire. Um, and we wound up at this outdoor chapel that the camp has um, and we lit candles um, as prayers. And I just sat down, having felt all the sort of emotional weight of those exercises being released, like really mm-hmm. rapidly, that weight just being taken. And um, I, like, for lack of a better phrase, I would say, like, I had a vision of Jesus. Um, and I just realized, like, well, there's a better way than the way that I've been doing things. Um, And the way that I had been doing things was thinking that I was alone and solely responsible for my well-being. And at that point, I thought, you know, I don't have the skills to take care of my own well-being at this juncture. Mm -hmm. And here is this energy that I can engage in that will help me with my wellness and my safety, honestly. So from there, I really went hard on the church. Um, I was like a leader within my youth group. I organized a benefit show to help world hunger, you know, like in the name of of Jesus, like doing this in the name of God, um, because we're called to do that. Um, that was really successful. We raised about $3,000. And then at the venue we chose, it actually caused a bit of a, a bit of unrest <laughs> because we broke fire code with how many people oh, were no. there. And they changed their policy to say, oh, yeah, for every 30 minors, you need one adult. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Every 15 now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It was really funny. But um, that was the first moment when I was done with that because we did it with the background of the 30 hour famine, if you're familiar with world visions, 30 hour famine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just did a day without eating and running this show and, you know, breaking the fast. And I came home and I showered and I just remember getting out of the shower and drying my face off and saying to God, like, is this what I'm meant to do? Cause this feels things like this, this feels like what I'm meant to do. 
so I thought, you know, like, oh, like, maybe I want to be like a youth minister. Maybe I want to do this. And that was the first time that I had the feeling of a call towards church work. Mm-hmm. So that I would say that's act one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And act two starts with um, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And I was in Disney World with my friend and her family. And I got a text from one of my friends from camp. Um, And she just said that our friend had been shot Mm. and was in a coma. And I remember I was like brushing my teeth and I just like dropped the phone into the sink. Just could not stand up straight and I was like it was a big yikes <laughs> for me yeah. um, and then <laughs> he wound up they took him off life support um, the day before my junior year of high school mm-hmm. and you know I still stayed in youth group and whatnot but um, I wouldn't say I lost faith by any means but, you know, I went to college really in the aftermath of the death of my friend yeah. who was only he was only 17. I w- just was my birthday's in September. So right after he died, I turned 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really, really hard for me. I felt I didn't feel like I lost any faith, but I felt far away, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I felt really far away from God. And I think I felt like I couldn't approach God because I think I was really, I was really entrenched in this idea of anything I do to progress my life after my friend died is selfish. Mm. Like I felt Mm. I was getting my license. I was applying to college. I was moving forward in the way that was prescribed to me. Meanwhile, my friend was not doing that. Little did I know, you know, I've come to a place now where I've realized, you know, he went through his evolution on Mm. earth. There was a point where his grandfather died and he really turned his life around in a really Mm. big way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw that and I thought, wow, like if, if he can turn his life around in a big way, so can I. Mm. And Maybe this idea that I had of, you know, him being just starting is what I always thought. I was like, man, he was just starting. But, you know, some people finish in a in a quicker way than we would want. But but yeah, I felt pretty far away. And then I got to college where any type of spirituality was just looked at as anti-intellectual, foolish, mm-hmm. um, non-academic and I felt so much shame like a lot of shame coming from a spiritual place entering college you know especially in like you know progressive Vermont as they call it um (laughs) so I got further and further away uh I disengaged I would say um still not losing faith still believing in God but very disengaged and then I moved to Colorado and I worked with one of my very close friends, Chris, who I should definitely connect you to because Chris has plenty to talk about as it relates to this podcast. Okay. As well. 
but they really helped coach me and just love me and give me space to talk about some stuff that I had experienced in life that to me in my head seemed, oh, this this doesn't mesh with Christianity. This doesn't mesh mm-hmm. with what I was raised with. You know, like I would say as a child, I had some sort of like supernatural experiences <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, well, this isn't, this feels weird. Like this doesn't seem like a thing that would mesh, but Chris helped me sort of engage with that side of myself to the point where I realized, oh, oh, I'm into tarot cards. I'm into candle work. I'm into symbolism. I'm into recognizing synchronicities. I'm into numerology. Mm -hmm. I'm into astrology, you know, and those things are not antithetical Mm. to my relationship with God. In fact, they enhance my relationship with God because they allow me to reflect in a way that makes sense to me. And that reflection is really based in a lot of symbolism, engaging with symbolism, engaging with narrative and storytelling. So that was the sort of second point in my evolution. And I've heard people talk about things like that as faith crises, but I wouldn't necessarily label them as a crisis. It doesn't feel that way to me, um, which is why I choose the word evolution. I had been reading in Colorado this book called My Bright Abyss. I can't remember. Oh, by Christian Wyman. Yes. Yeah, we had to read that in seminary. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, I loved it. There's Mm -hmm. a line in that book that I would get tattooed on my throat. And he says... Sometimes God calls us to unbelief so that mm. our faith can take new forms. Yeah. And I, ooh, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, that line really sparked a whole next place for me. Yeah. And so now here I am, I have landed and I am starting to take steps towards going to seminary, which is very interesting for me because mm-hmm. I still have some big questions. And I think mm-hmm. seminary will be a great time to grapple and figure it all out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You don't need it figured out before you get there. So. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think I thought that I did. And I think uh-huh. that's something that stopped me from taking steps to pursue it in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still in my head. I have all, when I sit and think about it, all I think about is what are other people going to think of me in this space, which is such mm-hmm. like not a helpful thing to think, but that's the truth. But no, when I, I feel that. Yeah. yeah. When I feel it in my heart though, I know God would not have put this in my heart if I don't belong there. Mm-hmm. Um, every other thing I've tried to do with my life thus far has not worked out because in my head, it's just been a scheme to do the next thing. Mm. Whereas this is so, it's so deep in my core. It doesn't feel like a scheme. Like, you Mm. know, I I felt like I was always scheming to make money, to do this, to do whatever, just to survive. But this is like, it's very different. It's very different than things, than ideas that I've had before, because before it's only been ideas. It hasn't been a deep feeling or a deep knowing. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, It's a little different because at least they're both still Christian, but I like consider myself both Presbyterian and Catholic. And so I had that fear before I started seminary, like, so I'm going to a Presbyterian seminary and I want to become a, like ordained in the PCUSA. Like, what are they going to think about my ties to Catholicism? And at my seminary, at least, it turns out that they're cool with it and see it as a sort of like they see that I have insight 
into something that they don't all have insight into. So hopefully, depending on where you go, like you'll find that to be true too, because I think it is so true that when we think we have to stay in these little boxes of only being one denomination and one religion, we're, we're limited to like all the other stuff out there. Real. That's so real, you know, and we're all one in the body of Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, and for me, you know, like Catholicism is some of the witchiest Christianity <laughs> yes. out there. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, love, and I I really love and appreciate that. And I have incorporated the saints into my prayer life. I have incorporated Mary in a big way in my mm-hmm. in my prayer life um, that I'm not sure other quote unquote Protestants would identify with. Um, mm. And all of that that sort of interaction that I have, I really fell to that from interacting with sort of witchy stuff and symbolism and mm-hmm. because the the saints just have such a rich, there's just such rich symbolism there and rich storytelling yeah. there. Me, I'm also like a poet. I went to school for writing, you know, oh, creative nice. writing. Nice. So I, that's how I learned. That's how I engage. That's how I process is through symbolism and storytelling. There's so much richness there. And I'd love to hear in your email, you mentioned something about how like um, the like mystic and symbolic and like witchy parts of your faith are part of how like your queerness interacts with your relationship with God and um, how you follow Jesus. I'd love to hear more about that connection, like how your queerness fits into that. Definitely, because I would say like, hmm, you know what I'm doing with incorporating other practices into my prayer life and into how I worship personally at home, I feel like what I'm doing is queering Christianity. Because for for me, the most important part is Jesus. Like, that, like mm-hmm. that's just how it is. And that's, and honestly, like, that's not how it is for everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the most important thing is Jesus. If I'm doing something that is antithetical to the birth life death and resurrection of Jesus, then that's something I'm not going to try to do. But all the other things, all the things that I do, I feel like are just ways that if we're going to go from it, from like a postmodern place, like I feel like queerness is in and of itself sort of a postmodern like action, you know, by saying, you know, words, ideas, things, they're not just one thing. You know, like Jesus is not just one thing. Mm. Spirituality is not just one thing. And my queerness is not just one thing. And certainly my gender is not just one thing. (laughs) And if I can sort of queer my spiritual life, (laughs) it just makes me feel that much closer to God. And it makes me feel like my queerness is more embraced by God. Mm-hmm. And my non-binariness is a reflection of God. And mm-hmm. so I think it's sort of wibbly wobbly and mushy um, to explain. But I feel like by adding these different practices that have this sort of rich symbolism, I'm I'm queering I'm queering my spiritual life in that way. That's really cool. And I feel that like that the difficulty in articulating something like that is the queerness of it. Like you said, like none of these things are one thing. They're not easy to name and describe. 
but when right. you're experiencing it, you know what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah, you nail on head. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of one of the other things you wanted to talk about is being a leftist and a Christian. Is this a good time to ease into that? No, I think this is perfect time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Let's Cause go. I figure that probably has to do with queerness as well. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I would say just as like a sidebar, okay. um, I did not have what people would imagine based on media coverage based on the narrative. Mm -hmm. I did not have a negative experience in church because of my queerness or my non-binariness in ways that so many other people have um, and that so many other people continue to have. Um, My queerness was always very much accepted, very much embraced by my home church community, or at the very least, nobody was saying anything to me about it. Okay. Um, I think, I think because when I started being vocal about my queerness around maybe 12, 13, 14, it was at a time in my life where I was a very in your face person, Mm -hmm. Um, a, a person that people were sort of like wary of because I was sort of a loose cannon. So at the very (laughs) least, at the very least, no one said anything to me about it. They knew better than to try to get into it with me Mm -hmm. at that point in time about Mm -hmm. it. Um, But I always felt loved, cared for, never excluded because of it in church. And because of that, and because I grew up in what I would call a progressive family, they're definitely what I would label as liberal, not leftist. Mm-hmm. But um, it was always conversation at our dinner table was church, current events, politics. Like that's mm-hmm. what we talked about. Oh and, man, and that's the dream. Was, yeah, <laughs> that's the opposite was, of my family. We avoid all that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, we are, we go, we go, we go there and we go at it with each other Mm -hmm. and we talk and we think through some big things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always understood that the reason why my family was engaged in political discourse and my Nana, especially who is my grandmother on my mom's side, very much engaged in protest. She would, march against whatever like Mm -hmm. what's going on you know um it was always understood that we are engaging in this political discourse because of god because Mm -hmm. god calls us to be the hands of christ in the world Mm -hmm. so and the way that my aunt phrases it is she says the function of a 21st century church is to see what breaks god's heart in your community and then directly respond to what is breaking God's heart. And so that is something that I take super personally. And, you know, Jesus is really what led me from a young age to the left. Mm -hmm. Once I got to college and I was exposed more to formal theory and everything, I realized, whoa, there are words for what I think. Because I knew even within my own family, I was like, well, you know, I think I'm further, like, yeah. I think I'm yeah. further left than Like, these they're not people. going far enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I am far to the left, yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, 
trying to navigate a leftist space as a Christian witch is hard Mm -hmm. because we can't, it would be foolish and wrong and hurtful. Um, It would be wrong to deny the way that the church has been manipulated and used by nation states to cause Mm -hmm. violence in God's name. So you don't want to walk up into a leftist space denying any of that as a Christian Mm -hmm. because that would just be incredibly hurtful and irresponsible. So I can't walk into a space that's going to be truly inclusive and try to deny that. So I can't, I can't sit there and deny that being a Christian in America, I have a level of privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And that Um, church is wielded as a weapon against so many people. Right. And I think when it gets deeper though, is saying, well, first and foremost, what nation states have done to the church and what the church has done by getting into bed with like (laughs) nation states and army Mm -hmm. is, uh, that is not God. Mm-hmm. And that's for me where my personal difficulty comes because I I can't shut up about God. Like I can't <laughs> not bring, I can't walk into a space and not bring God with me. Mm-hmm. So that's what is hard when you, there is real trauma mm-hmm. that the co-opted church has done. Between colonialism and slavery and manifest destiny and whatever you want to talk about, there is real trauma, real damage, and real things happening now still, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But but for me, none of those things are God, Mm. you know? Um, And it's really important to draw that line. And that's what sometimes I come up against that is difficult for me is I have been in conversation and community with people who want to say like oh well that is god you know Mm -hmm. like what is what is god if not the examples that we have of people who are claiming to follow god Mm -hmm. you know and that's what's really hard and it's also really hard to say if we're talking about current things like conversion therapy let's say Mm -hmm. you know when somebody says oh i'm a christian and a and what most people think when someone says that they, they don't think of people like me. They yeah. don't think of anything that I am mm-hmm. like, and I don't want, I don't want this to sound like, Oh, I'm not that kind of person. You know, the way that <laughs> white progressives would be like, Oh, well, I'm not that kind of white person. Yeah. You know? Um, but in terms of faith practice and, you know, like my personal relationship and how my politics impact, how I live my faith in the world, like, you know, like I am not, a fundamentalist mm-hmm. like period like i am yeah. not biblical fundamentalist i do not believe that the bible is an infallible dead unliving document like i mm. believe in breeze i believe that god still talks to us mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so but when when you say oh i'm a christian that's what people think people immediately think like oh you're a fundamentalist you believe that the Bible is literal and Mm -hmm. has a period at the end and that queer people are going to hell and people people of other faiths are going to hell. Right. And that's the thing is like, that is the big swing and the miss I think of Christianity writ large is thinking that this is the only way. And this is one of those things that I come up against in my discernment. I think, Mm -hmm. well, 
I don't believe that the only path to God is Jesus, is mm -hmm. Christianity. Mm -hmm. Not in a literal sense. If you want to take it as a metaphor, sure, because like what, for me, what did Jesus bring to us? But saying like, you know, God is in you, turn inward, mm -hmm. turn, turn inward and see that piece of God within you. Um, so it's just, I don't know, it can be tough. And then navigating a Christian space as a leftist is so hard is, you know, I would, I would rather navigate a leftist space as, as a Christian on a day where I have low energy, if I mm -hmm. had to choose between the two, I would mm -hmm. go to the left space. <laughs> mm -hmm. But navigating a Christian space as a leftist is just so difficult because so much is is hinged on this idea of pacifism mm. and this idea of erasure, honestly. Like mm. we're all the same. Um, yeah, yeah. With anything, you can take an ideology and you can twist it however you want to. The way my aunt says mm. it is she goes, the Bible's an equal opportunity offender. Like mm. it's it's going to clash with in a bipartisan manner. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You, if you want to find something where the Bible says this, you're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find it there. Yeah. Um, but again, like what, what reigns supreme in my life is what did Christ say? And that to me is what is most important. But yeah. So I think like navigating that space, a Christian space as a leftist, you know, like, People, people can take that ideology and twist it however they want. And so when people say we're all one in Christ, mm -hmm. that can be used in a quote unquote progressive space, mm -hmm. in a liberal space that can be used as a tool of erasure and denial yeah. of people's yeah. identities. And that to me is so hurtful. Like that yeah. is so hurtful because I am not coming to Christ to erase who I am I am coming to Christ to be embraced as who I am and mm -hmm. to be be uplifted as who I am and to be given agency in the world yeah you know um like I don't come to Christ to deny who I am yeah. so yeah that... it's when it becomes about not unity but conformity right and it's exactly. like you said the people who are expected to conform are the non-normative ones like a, a white straight dude coming into a church never feels like he has to give up something about himself it's the right. people who are marginalized who are supposed to sort of let go of their various identities and become one in the body and i feel like that brings up for me something that's been super sentient for me since college is really the idea of labeling versus naming so mm -hmm. like other mm -hmm. people, like when you get labeled by another person, that's one thing. But mm -hmm. when you name yourself as one thing, that's a sacred act. Like yeah. if somebody is going to label me as queer or as bisexual or as pansexual or as like whatever they're going to name me as mm -hmm. versus me naming myself as B plus A minus asexual slash queer. Yeah. Like that is a different act, you know? And so when I, when I name myself as a child of God, that is different than somebody labeling me as a Christian, mm. because if you're going to label me as a Christian, you're missing this whole part of me, which is Christian, witch. like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you're, you're denying this other 
part of me um, mm-hmm. and naming me as this one thing the same way as if somebody if I explained my sexuality to someone, they would be like, oh, you just sound like a sort of non-sexual bisexual. I would be like, well, that's not my name. That's not my yeah. name. I love that idea of the sacred act of naming that we sort of choose for ourselves what actually fits. Right. And it's like, I feel like it interacts with my sort of identity as a writer because it's like, you know, like once you say something or write something, it's it's almost not yours anymore. Like it's out mm-hmm. in the world and people are going to take it however they take Mm, it and mm -hmm. they're going to do with it what they want, which is such a struggle for me because from a very young age and still one of my biggest things is like, I just want to be understood. I want to speak and I want to be understood. And if I misspeak, I want to be told like, maybe this was a better way to say it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) What mm -hmm. you were trying to say was not communicated and this is what you actually said. And then I want to fix that because I want to be as understood as I can be, you yeah. know, um, which is like both in those in leftist spaces as a Christian, which I feel very misunderstood. And in Christian spaces as a leftist, I feel very misunderstood as well. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to find any spaces like friend groups where you have felt understood as all of those things? Yeah, I have felt such solace and love and like a feeling of being taken care of and a Mm. feeling of being a feeling of permission with my friend, Chris. I think without Chris, who Chris is this rad non-binary person I met in college um, through one of my oldest friends, Sylvie. And Chris practices like old Italian witchcraft, like Strigaria it's called. Um, But they also attend, started attending Episcopal mass and they were raised Catholic. Um, And their coaching, their spiritual guidance, my, my friendship with them um, is the place I feel more understood talking to Chris about my faith and my politics than I feel understood by any, anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it has just been, I thank God for Chris in my life Mm -hmm. every day, (laughs) you know, and thus, and I also thank God for my friend Sylvie in my life every day, because without Sylvie, I never would have known Chris. Mm -hmm. That's so important to have those people because it, it really wears you down to, not have spaces where you can know that people really get you. So I'm glad you have that person in your life. Same, same. And I'm glad that I will have them, you know, once seminary starts, I am glad Mm -hmm. that I will have them that Mm -hmm. I can go to, to say, listen, this is whack. Um, And I really (laughs) hope, I really Mm -hmm. hope to find other people at seminary too. Like I, one of my one of my goals and one of my hopes and dreams for seminary is to really just be in in community with people who are questioning who are grappling who are willing to engage with mm-hmm. different for lack of a better terms like brands of <laughs> christianity or mm-hmm. just experiences with jesus you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, these are all things I hope I, I really have no idea what I'm getting into. And for me, it's so exciting to know that I uh, am starting this journey. I have no idea what's going to happen, Yeah. but, but it will happen and God will be there. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank Um, you.
And I always close with the question of what's sort of your last bit of advice or encouragement for trans people in general or trans people of faith? Yeah, I would say just, you know, God is real. You're a child of God. Nobody can take that away from you. God is ready to love and embrace you and has already been doing that your whole life, um, whether you've known it or not. And other than that, just haters going to hate, but God <laughs> just loves, you know, God, mm. God just loves mm. and uh, canon Jesus is trans. So you can Amen. Yes. Take, you can take solace in that. And that's really just the biggest thing that I have to say to trans people of faith or not, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Taylor, for taking the time to share some of your story. Listeners, you can find Taylor at Gender Splendor on Twitter. That's the word gender, then an underscore, splendor. Taylor offers tarot readings. You can see the show notes for information on their rates if you're interested. Taylor actually did a reading for me when we talked, and I was sort of amazed with how it went. It was so cool, y'all. I didn't know too much about tarot and wasn't really sure how it worked, and it turns out that it can be really meaningful and helpful, even if it's not part of your ordinary spiritual practices. Y'all will be able to listen to Taylor talk about tarot and then do my reading in a future episode of this podcast. It's going to be a special episode in which trans folks share stories about their personal faith practices. So... If you are trans and or non-binary and you want to be featured in that future episode, please reach out to me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com for more information. Basically, I'll ask you to either write out a little thing for me to read for you or to record yourself talking about personal worship that's meaningful for you. Do you have particular gods or saints you pray to for certain things? Do you have a sacred space set up in your home Or maybe you prefer being out in nature? Do you feel that being trans intertwines with your faith practices in some way? Talk to me about it. I'm hoping this future episode will show how rich and diverse the spiritual lives of trans people of any religious background can be. Okay, moving on. I always give my spiel about supporting me by reviewing this podcast, sharing it with friends, or by becoming my patron at QueerlyChristian on Patreon.com. Patrons who support me at the $12 level or higher get a special shout-out on every episode for being such generous and awesome people. Ron Hartzler, Jay Gebner, Remy Page, Willow Hovink, thank you so much. Y'all are seriously the coolest. If you become a patron, you will be supporting not only this podcast, but all of the work I do, including my work at Queerly Christian on Instagram and on Tumblr, and the videos I put out on YouTube. I've actually just started a new YouTube series, and I'm super pumped about it. It's called Disabled and Blessed, Seeking God's Good News for the Disability Community. I'm hoping this series will fill some gaps when it comes to free, accessible, not icky content on disability and faith. That wraps up everything I wanted to say. Thank you for listening to Taylor's story with me. I'll see y'all next month. In the meantime, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.